Psalms. We're talking about the different categories of psalms now. There are lots of genres or types of psalms, and we'll talk about those. But we've grouped them into three buckets. Psalms of orientation, psalms of disorientation, and psalms of reorientation. And that's what the next three weeks will be with one rabbit trail of the imprecatory psalms when we talk about the psalms of disorientation. So that'll be our next four weeks that'll get us through to July and to our summer break from Sunday school. Psalms of orientation. Several types of these, but the broad category, these are the psalms that describe seasons of well-being of soul, well-being of soul, a life in the world spiritually as it ought to be. And, and that, that sense of well-being evokes gratitude, the, the, the sort of constancy of the blessing of life under God's promises fulfilled provokes gratitude. And that seems easy enough, is that when we inherit the promises fully, there will be no brokenness, decay, mourning, sin, crying, death, all those things, it's not difficult for us to imagine that in that world, our hearts would be grateful. That experience of constant blessing would create a sense of gratitude and of closeness with God. And the Psalms of Orientation are about when that world breaks through into this world, when we have those seasons of well-being, it has the same effect. It evokes gratitude. It evokes a sense of blessing that comes from God. And so these psalms emphasize joy, delight, the reliability of God. These are like, these psalms are the (laughs) anti-Job. These psalms are about the coherence of life against uh, Koheleth and the reliability of God against early Job. Uh, Those are our psalms of orientation, and we'll work through a few types of these. The most familiar is a hymn. Oh, coffee's on. Uh, hymns. Characteristic of hymns is pretty simple. Hymns are just praise. Hymns are full of praise. And a hymn will generally follow a threefold structure. That is pretty simple. Hymns will start with a call to worship. What is a call to worship? We have one in our worship service. You find them in uh, the hymn psalms. What is a call to worship? Let us exalt his name. Yes. It's an exhortation to praise God. It is saying, hey, you, potential worshiper, be a worshiper. (laughs) Praise God. So hymns start with this call to worship, this exhortation to praise. Then hymns will give... Reasons. Why would you praise God? These often start with for. For he has done this good thing. For he has done that good thing. For he is a God of this amazing attribute. Why would I praise God? Here, have some reasons. And the declaration of the reasons is itself praise of God. Now that should be very helpful to us. Because there are plenty of times where, in our spirit, living under the incoherence of moments of life and the, the feeling of the unreliability of God, 
We can't manufacture our own praise. If I said what I think about God in my heart right now, which I'm allowed to do, but it wouldn't be called a hymn. It wouldn't be called praise. And one of the ways that God's people have been able to praise God is simply by stating his works and his attributes. By simply acknowledging them as true, you are praising God. I don't feel that you are a God of compassion, but you are a God of compassion. Four, here's some ways that you showed you were compassionate in the Bible. Here's some ways you showed you were compassionate to me in the past. Simply making that declaration is itself an act of praise uh, and an important part of worship, by the way. That's why our worship services, um, in one sense, someone could come in and look at our worship service and say, that's not very evangelistic. And if they said that, would you know what they meant? I think so, right? You're, you're not, your audience is not primarily unbelievers. You're not saying the things that make it easy for them to hear, easy for them to participate. There's, they got to follow this bulletin and they got to be familiar with these phrases and they got to learn these. And you say, well, that's not very evangelistic. But you know what is the best type of evangelism a human can do? Telling the truth about God from the overflow of their heart, watching our worship, that we worship because our hearts are drawn to God in worship. And you look across a congregation and there's people who are having the best month of their lives and there's people who are having one of the worst months of their lives. And there are people who are having a great day and there are people who are having a terrible day. And there are people who are joyful and there are people who are exhausted and burdened. And all of those people in all of those places yet have hearts that have been drawn to God in worship and can say things about God that are true. That's why we have so many responsive readings in our service. It gives you the chance to say things about God that are true no matter where your heart is. It gives children the chance to say things about God that are true when they haven't even really formed that vocabulary yet. This is how we're helping them to learn what is true about God. So hymns are fantastic for this. Call to worship, reasons why God should be praised. You'll hear this structure in the elder's prayer sometimes. A good way to structure a prayer when you're praising God is around God as creator, God as provider, and God as deliverer. They're just really good categories to think about the different attributes of God and the different things that God has done that are praiseworthy. And so, sure, creator, provider, and deliverer. And if you go through the Psalms of praise, you'll find different emphases on those categories. You'll find some that are overwhelmingly about God as deliverer and others overwhelmingly about God as provider and otherwise about creator. And then sometimes, so I'll put an asterisk by this one because it's optional, not all hymns have them, they close with an additional call to praise. They all open with this call to worship, and then they give you reasons, and then many of them will conclude with, therefore, because all that's true, praise the Lord. And they'll have that type of conclusion. There are lots of hymns in the Psalms. 
Last week, we talked about the conclusion of the book of Psalms, that fireworks of praise from Psalm 145 to 150. All five of those are in the genre of hymn. But Psalm 8, 29, 33, I could name a bunch, but you don't want to write them all down. There's a lot of Psalms of praise here. Let's read a couple of them and let's look at what's happening. Nick, can you go to 103? And Karen, can you go to 29? <clears throat> Uh, David, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses. His acts to the people of Israel, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As Father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers, who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all his places of dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Thank you. All right, Psalm 103. Where is the call to worship? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Verses 1 and 2. <laughs> bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. There's our call to worship. Then there are reasons. Most of the psalm is reasons. Verses 3 through 19 are reasons why one ought to bless the Lord. Uh, in their soul. What are examples as you go through this? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. He, heals yeah, forgives iniquity, heals diseases. Verse 4. Yeah. Uh, uh, 8. Slow to anger. Steadfast love. 4. Redeems your life from the pit. 6. Works righteousness and justice for the oppressed. 7. What's, what's 7 praising him for? He revealed himself. He made himself known at all. God could create a world and have nothing to do with it. God revealed himself to us. That's great. Verse 7. Uh, 9. Doesn't deal with us according to our sins. Instead, 11. Loves those who fear him. 12. Takes our sins away. 13. Is compassionate about it. 14 to 16. Oh, what a big one this is. God knows our weakness and remembers rather than exploits. See, there's two big things there. 
And there's a lot, there's a good parallel here for human relationships, especially the marriage. It is an act of grace to know a weakness and to remember it, to, to make accommodation for it, to account for it, to be gracious toward it, rather than to exploit it. Sinful human tendency is you find weaknesses and you exploit them. But God doesn't. God remembers our frame, that we are but dust. In verses 17 and 18, his way of remembering that is with a love that lasts forever. And he blesses us and our children and our children's children within the covenant. And then 19, that he's sovereign over all. Um, that he, his, the, the, his kingdom uh, is all that he has made. And then what do you have after that? Further calls to praise. You should praise God. Because stuff, stuff, therefore, you should praise God. (laughs) That's the structure of hymns. And the emphasis here is especially on salvation and what God has done. That's what David keeps coming back to is is God's love and mercy in salvation with a fallen and wayward people. And within that, he has calls for us to Thankful obedience as a response to God's salvation. Remember his commandments. Keep his commandments. That's all in here. But David keeps going back to, yeah, but God, love and mercy, love and mercy, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger. Uh, And that's where you get the hymn. Questions about Psalm 103? Not questions. It's it's beautiful how it starts with... Pretty much the personal, oh my soul, he's talking to the individual, and then it ends with the angels, the you like mm. all of creation basically, bless the Lord. Yeah. Everyone has reasons to. All right, Psalm 29. Karen, would you read that? <clears throat> Psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. All right, we have another hymn. Where's the call to worship in this one? Yep, verses 1 and 2. God should be worshipped because... Reasons. And the reasons in this psalm are verses 3 through 10. And you can really summarize these reasons in two statements. The first is verses 3 and 4. The voice and the glory of the Lord is full of majesty. And the second is verses 5 through 10. That majesty is greater than any greatness of the earth. The Lord is just above all else. He is so so beyond <laughs> in his godness and that is why god is to be praised and then verse 11 
is a further call to praise. This one's worded um, a little differently. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. But that is still a call, not to God, but to the people to consider what God may do. And so we have our structure of the hymn. Yep. So like it says, he sits enthroned over the flood. That's talking about his sovereignty over all. Uh, yeah, that, that, oh, who else could do it is kind of the question of this song. Who else is a God like this? How do we read psalms that are hymns? What do we do with them? Sing them like psalms. <laughs> we read them like hymns, yeah. They, we sing them. We, they are praise. These are for the worship of God. These are a great way for adoration to come out from us. They're not the only way for us to adore God, but they are really, really good. Uh, I mean, this is part of the... The, the challenge of kind of the worship wars of old music versus new music, and you can get wrapped around the axle about a lot of different details. But I think one thing we all ought to be able to do is to look at the words of something like Psalm 29 and say, oh, this is good. <laughs> this is, if the goal is to praise God, if the goal is to move my spirit toward adoration of God, this is good. Whatever I sing, I want to make sure I also sing this. And that's why we try to sing one psalm every Sunday, uh, because these have a ton to offer to our worship. Questions about hymns as a psalm of orientation? That would be a really interesting thought experiment. Just that I never really thought of it that way. You had these large megachurches who were singing you know, what they sing. And then you introduced this one Sunday, and you had them sing this. Would the juxtaposition be so great? Like, Would people be like, oh, we've been singing this stuff, and then like, would they even get it, or would it, would they not? Be interesting to see. Um, when I was in Bible college yeah. in the eighties, we only sang choruses or straight out of the song. Yeah. And we mentioned that to our associate pastor, who is probably in his forties, and he he just lit up. He's like, "You mean you only sang the Word of God?" <laughs> Why hadn't anyone tried this before? Yeah. And and scripture gives us permission. The New Testament has hymns that are not in the Psalms. So the practice of the New Testament church was that you could write your own truthful Psalms and word about God and sing them alongside the Psalms. When the singing of the songs fell out of favor is a very bizarre thing. It was It was because of tune, not because of lyric. It was because people didn't think about if this hundreds-year-old tune is not good for modern sensibilities, then write a new tune that people want to sing and put these words to it. But instead, they took the people who are capable of writing modern tunes and assumed that those people would also be good at writing praiseworthy lyrics, which is deranged. You know, you don't ask your your uh, carpenter to do your plumbing in your house. <laughs> but anyway, that's what they did. And, and then we got the trivialization of the words because people who were not qualified to write good words were writing all these words. And it is important to remember, too, you know, like when we sing from the hymnal, and there can be an accusation, oh, you just, like, you just think this is better because it's old. No, no, we think it's better because it's better. And, and the, 
the 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 logical fallacy there is you think not you no one of yous but the person making that accusation thinks that what we're holding up in that hymnal are all of the old hymns that were ever written no there were thousands and thousands and thousands of hymns written and most of them weren't any good either The hymnal is the best of the best. They're the ones that have survived the test of doctrinal scrutiny and congregational singable scrutiny, and that's why we're still adding to our hymnals today, because thousands and thousands and thousands of new Christian songs are being written. Most of them are not good, just like 200 years ago, most of them were not good. But instead of churches saying, let's only take the best of the best of the best of modern hymnody and sing that in worship, which we would be okay with, everybody should be okay with, because let's sing to the Lord a new song, he tells us to. Instead, how does a song get into the church? Christian radio. Christian music publishers pay radio stations to play music, and that is what worship leaders use to pick what gets sung in church. I was going to say there's a slight change to that, which is it's the five largest churches in the U.S. account for... Basically, all of this church. Yeah, everybody looks at what the Elevation Worship Band is doing, and that's what gets sung in church. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting, too, that uh, the prologue of John supposedly was an ancient hymn. Yes, there is an ancient hymn in there. Yes. John has a couple ancient hymns in his gospel. Paul has several snippets of ancient hymns in his letters. I am all for singing new songs, I'm all for singing old songs, I'm all for singing psalms. What I am not up for singing in worship is bad. (laughs) And so the goal is whatever is excellent, whatever is, that's what should come out of our mouths. And you look at these Psalms like, how in the world could we have ever stopped singing these? The other thing to remember is when you get old, apparently music stays with you longer than everything else. That's the crap you want to remember when you're old. I thought for sure this discussion about the crappiness of modern music would come up in these five weeks on the Psalms. But I thought it would come up on the Psalms of disorientation. And I think it's fascinating that it came up in the Psalms of orientation and specifically the hymns. What a better job these do than most else you hear about praising the goodness of God. And I I think I'm on solid ground when I say, when you take modern church music What it does best is on the praise of the good things about life and life with God. That is it at its best because it doesn't even have a category for the Psalms of disorientation. What was the last modern song you heard on, I mean, if you listen to Christian radio, God be with you, I can't do it. But what was the last modern song that you remember that's about being disoriented before God, that God's forsaken you, that you feel alone, that God's gone silent, that God's left you. that God, That's not a thing they do. Now, every now and then there are ones they do, and then they can be really good, and that's why some of them are in our hymnal. So it's, it's fascinating to me that when we get to the hymns of disorientation, the argument against some of modern hymnody is going to be they can't even do it. They, they don't even try. There is no place in modern Christian worship for a sad person. That's been true the whole time I've been in this, is you, you, you can't be sad, confused, disoriented about life, and feel like modern Christian music is there for you. 
So going back to the Psalms is of great benefit. All right, I got to move this. Wisdom Psalms, second category. Wisdom Psalms are related to Scripture's wisdom literature. They're of the same kind. What are the wisdom literature books? Proverbs. Job, we just read one. Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. So the wisdom psalms have themes related to wisdom literature. John turned to Psalm 19 and Noah turned to Psalm 127. All right, wisdom. So what, what are themes of wisdom literature? It's usually, so one would be the glory of God reflected in, in the created world. That's something that, that John will read here in just a second. This idea that you could look around the world and discern truth and glory of God from what exists. Other wisdom themes, the law of God is a wisdom theme. Psalm 19 and Psalm 119 are both about the law of God. Psalms of the family, the the, the theme of what orderly life looks like, what blessing looks like in the way God has given family and is generational. And then the most familiar of the wisdom themes is the contrast between two ways, a contrast between two paths, a way of life, a way of death, a way of wisdom, a way of folly. That's contrast. Psalm 1 does that. Blessed is the man who. Uh, Psalm 112 does that. So wisdom psalms are these going to have these themes similar to what you would find in the wisdom books of the Bible. All right, John, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors, declaring innocent from hidden faults? Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The wisdom psalms ask the question, just like the wisdom books do, where is wisdom to be found? Wasn't that the question of Job? Wasn't that the question of Ecclesiastes? Isn't that the subject matter of the Proverbs? Where is wisdom to be found? So what's the answer of this psalm? What's the point of it? God has spoken perfectly, and his words are good for us. His voice has gone out into all the earth. Therefore, and this is what we struggle with, we ought to listen. We ought to seek out that voice. We ought to do what that voice says. That's the part we really don't like. But because God has spoken, that's where wisdom can be found. And so we should find it. 
and we should make use of what it says. Another example, Psalm 127, no? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, the children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. All right, Psalm 127 is a song of ascents. Does your Bible say that somewhere? These are also called the pilgrim songs. These are Psalms 120 to 134. Last week we talked a lot about the editorial structure of the book of Psalms and how carefully someone in God's wisdom had grouped Psalms together for different purposes and with different themes. And a type of wisdom psalm is the song of ascent. And you have those from 120 to 134. So what does that mean? What's the point of a song of ascent? Is that when they're going up the stairs to the temple? Yes, and back one level even. That is true. And, nope. They were coming out of Babylon. Back where? Where is Jerusalem? Up on a hill. Jerusalem is up on a hill, and for the three feasts a year when all the people had to come and gather to Jerusalem for worship, they had to go up. And then the priests preparing to worship had to go up the steps of the temple. And so these were the songs that were collected for people to sing while they are making this journey up to Jerusalem and up to the temple to worship. So what's the point of this psalm? Unless the Lord builds the house. What, what are, look at some of the phrases in this. This isn't about the construction of building a physical house, is it? Unless the Lord builds a house. Rise up early. Go late to rest. Eating bread. Beloved sleep. Children are a heritage. Fruit of the womb. This is about family life. This is about how our lives and families ought to be centered around God and obedience to him. And that's how children and family are a blessing. It's in this context. Remember, these are psalms of orientation. When we get to the psalms of disorientation, then we'll deal with our sin. But psalms of orientation, this is the context in which family and children are a blessing. And so... What's the point of the wisdom psalm? What's the point of this particular song of ascent? It's, you, it's like a proverb. It's instructive. It, it, it's not a command. Thou shalt. You must. It's instructive. Here's the way you want to build your life. Here's the way you want to build your home and your family. Here's the way you want to think about your children. Questions about that psalm. So wisdom psalms, we read the same way we would read the Proverbs. We read them as instructive. They are teaching us something about our application of the wisdom of God. All right. Third, psalms of confidence. Jake, will you go to Psalm 16? Daphne, will you go to Psalm 23? What do you think the Psalms of Confidence are about? 
Yeah. Psalms of confidence are about trust and confidence. Psalms of confidence are far less organized than hymns. Some can be like hymns. Some can be just stream of consciousness. Psalms of confidence are this beautiful category of trusting in God, whatever comes. Come what may, I am confident in God. I am not confident in my circumstances. I am not confident in health or wealth or whatever else, but I am confident in God. And that's what these Psalms are all about. Um, And these are not dealing with a specific moment of trouble or anxiety. These are much more general, and you'll see these psalms of confidence in good times and in bad times, and you'll see the way that's reflected in the language. So Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. All right, good times, bad times. Is this a good time psalm, a bad time psalm? Everybody looks really insecure about this. He tells you in verse 6. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places good times. Life is good. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Life is good. And in the goodness of life and the goodness of God, I express confidence in him. Now, Psalm 23. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you want to figure out if something's a good time psalm or a bad time psalm when you're dealing with the psalms of confidence, look for the present tense. I know this psalm says, I shall dwell in, and I, but what's the line of this psalm that's in the present tense? I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And it even says, like, he restores my soul, which implies what? My soul needs restoration. He says, you prepare a table before me in, which means I got some, I got enemies. This is a bad time Psalm. Psalm 23 is a bad time Psalm. And yet I have confidence in the Lord very clearly, not because of his circumstances, but because of God who comforts him in his 
circumstances. Personal security in God, gratitude for God, hope and confidence in what God will do. These are the expressions of praise that come from Christian hope. To sing the Psalms of confidence, we don't have to have lives that are going great. We have to have real hope in God. That's what's required for these. And when we don't have that real hope in God, I find the Psalms of confidence to be a good, uh, a, a good way to get there, <laughs> a good way to remember that in the good times and in the tough times, uh, we have equal reason to be confident in God, that we are just as secure in God uh, and, and can be just as confident in what he will do. Questions about that and psalms of orientation as a category. Are, are the confident psalms in bad times generally this way in the sense of you are surrounded by God's promise? Like there's truths about God that surround the difficulties. Yep. Because when we get to the psalms of disorientation, we will talk about these same types of difficulties. They will not be surrounded <laughs> By this, they will be, they'll be the response. They'll be the, the self-soothing that comes when we get to the Psalms of disorientation. Reflect on my circumstances. Bad, bad, bad. This is all bad, bad. I feel bad. Things are bad, 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 bad. But I know that God is. And this one you, you definitely have that sandwiching effect of he's experiencing, David is experiencing, and it's, I mean, it's good that all the different types come from the same person. It's nice that we have Davidic authorship of all these types because it's not like, well, David was a strong enough believer that he never had those other kinds of Psalms. Yeah, yeah he did. <laughs> he, he really did. But David also had Psalms like Psalm 23. He also had Psalms uh, like Psalm 16 where his uh, experience of circumstances, good or bad, was overwhelmingly in the context of confidence in the goodness of God. And that's a, that's a pretty good place to be. Our goal in prayer and in praise and in self-soothing, for lack of a better term, should be that our minds have what's true about God, first and foremost. The Psalms are a way we can be 100% certain that it's true about God. Singing New Testament scriptures is a way we can be 100% certain. We can also evaluate hymns, old and modern, and say, does this speak biblical truth about God? Uh, but you made the point about tune as well. So let me, in the absence of another question, let me just real quick, two-minute rabbit trail on, since we did this music thing. What does, a, what does a worship song need in order to be good? What makes a good worship song? True. Ah, true. Right? Must be true. Hey, let's start there. Yes. Okay? Is that enough? Beautiful. Ah, must be beautiful. That is, it should draw you in, not cringe you away. Right? There can be a moment of dissonance. When the dissonance gives way, that's beautiful in music. That works well. But just dissonance followed by dissonance, no good. That's not beautiful. So we need beautiful. What else? The last 
ones get harder. <laughs> Singable, <laughs> right? These are not, this is corporate worship. People of God, plural, not individual before God. Individuals before God, Daphne can sing wonderful Italian uh, art songs. We can't. <laughs> so you know what we should not sing in worship? Italian art songs, not good for us. It's got to be singable by the people of God. That's why our hymnals are in four-part harmony. And I know that almost no one learns to sing or sight read. I get that. That's an us problem. The reason why they're in four-part harmony is not because they're old, and that's what old things used to do. It's because we don't all have the same vocal part. I can't sing as high as her, but I can sing higher than Jake. And I need a part that's not as low as what Jake could sing because I can't sing that. And that's what, that's what four part gives us is the ability to sing. So singable, really important. What else? There's more, but wait. The tune has to match. Ah, tune and lyric match. What's my favorite example of that? Take a helium balloon. Now sing holy, holy, holy. <laughs> Tell me that it doesn't matter. How, right? It matters. When you sing from the depths of woe, like it's a drunken surfer tune. I, what, what is this? You can't sing a mighty fortress as our God in the upper register of a harpsichord. It just doesn't work. That's why that's, the organ is really useful, not because it's old, but because it's versatile. An organ can sound like an orchestra, or it can sound like some strings in lament, or it can, it's, it's versatile. That's why people like the organs. There are plenty of songs in our hymnal that I think are better with a guitar than piano. There are lots of hymns that I think are better with piano than guitar. You're trying to match that tune and lyric. What you're singing and the sound it's making have to have some sort of connection. You can't sing, I've got the joy, joy, joy in a minor key. Doesn't work. All right, and then the last one is um, progression of thought. Holy, holy, holy is true. That phrase, holy, holy, holy. But singing it for six minutes is not good Worship music. You know what is good? Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning. And then what's going to happen in the next verses? It's going to be these other phases of life where I'm willing to praise and worship God. The Psalms, the the good hymns, old or modern, progress. They're not just the same thing over and over and over. They're building on a theme. The love of God in, and now I work my way through. The love of God in my personal life, the love of God among his people, the love of God in my homes, the love of God in creation. There's lots of ways that you can do this. It's not putting you in a box, except explore the subject a little. What do they they say in dance? Explore the space. (laughs) That's what good worship music does. It explores the space. I love God. Okay, that's a great sentence. But if you just keep singing, I love God, which is a lot of modernish music, it starts to become trivialized, doesn't it? As opposed to, I love God because, verse one. Verse two, I love God because, here's some more reasons. And then therefore, because I love God, what's going to happen? That'd be a great last verse. 
That's what we're looking for there. So when we talk about good music, the reason why the Psalms are so good is because they hit the true and the progress of thought. They also cover the full range of human emotions. That's not about a single hymn. That's about a hymnal. If your hymnal doesn't cover the full range of human experience, then we're back to the problem I mentioned before, where there's no place for sad people in modern worship. You should go home. We don't need you here. You're ruining our vibe. Right? Full range of human experience. That's what makes a hymnal good. That's why the Psalter's good. Progress of thought is why individual psalms are good. True is why individual psalms are good. So then what do we have to do? We have to make sure we match them with beautiful, singable, and a fit between tune and word. 